All right, Nick, good show. <laughs> okay. Uh, Greg's leaving to go take advantage of our brand new coupon code. Type in Long Ash all day Friday and Saturday, and you will receive 20% off your entire purchase. Some exclusions apply, but other than that, 20% off your entire purchase all day Friday and Saturday when you use the coupon code Long Ash. Nick, did you know I just got 20% off? Yes. This content is intended for adult cigar smokers age 21 and older. We have two, to, I, I call these guys not just cigar legends, I call them tobacco legends because um, out of everyone I've been talking to over the past few weeks in terms of tobacco knowledge and cigar knowledge, you know, combustion, how you're getting certain flavors, how you're blending, what leaves you're picking, these two guys have been among the most knowledgeable. So please welcome Dion Giolito of Illusione and Nick Melillo of Foundation. Gentlemen, Thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. Um, Pleasure to be here. So what we were, I want to get back to what we were just talking about and I'll give a, a quick um, quick explanation to everyone out there. We were discussing um, the aging process of cigars, basically how long you can age a cigar and it's still optimal. We were discussing uh, some of these kind of you know pre-embargo Cubans and how. The aging process affects them, how long they should be aged, et cetera. And Deanna, I believe you were just making a point about um, how they classify their their filler and binder tobaccos, or at least their filler tobaccos differently yeah. than we're used to. Yeah. So yeah, Cuba classifies their their primings differently than we do um, in in Nicaragua, uh, for that matter, probably a few other places, but particularly from from my knowledge, Nicaragua, especially when I have, you know, and Nick and I have sat down and gone through. Uh, hands of uh, you know Cuban tobacco, they would consider what we would consider uh, Seco to be Viso. Mm. Um, so their classification um, going up the plant uh, in, in in the priming sense is different. So <clears throat> um, to Nick's point, uh, they do use a lot of what we would consider to be lower priming plants um, or lower priming uh, leaves on the plant. And from an aging standpoint. Uh, you know, it's been my experience and the knowledge that, that uh, you know, I've gotten from, you know, men like Arsenio Ramos and Asinto is that uh, the Cuban aging process or the fermentation process is a fairly rapid process uh, comparatively to uh, what we're used to being around in tobacco. So it, it really comes down to a relatively youthful cigar uh, that has a bit more humidity into it that goes into your uh, boxes and then it's entirely up to you to age it out as far as you like it. Some people like it two years out, three years out, five years out. Some people like it 10 years out. Um, and they really kind of leave that up to the individual. It's much like uh, Burgundy wines, you know, or old Bordeaux style wines to say, okay, here's a bottle of wine. Don't touch it for 30 years. You know, it's not necessarily the same, but it's kind of like of that mindset, you know? So they're, so they're basically saying we can, you know, not that Cuban cigars are cheap, but they're saying, hey, this is what we can give you. Uh, you know, they're, they're good already, but they're going to get even better with age. And instead of us right. aging them for you, you can do it on right. your own. And that's what we were just talking about with, uh, with Padron. When people ask me like, oh, I got this box of, you know, the Padron 90th. It's a Padron, you know, 26th anniversary. How long should I age these cigars for? Uh, and I, I usually say, don't. The, these are ready to go. They're, they're yeah. optimal as is. Um, so do, why do you think that that's kind of the, the, the Cuban culture or why do you think that maybe what we're used to in America, like what you guys are doing um, has changed to more like, no, we're actually going to do the aging on our end. We want this tobacco to sit for however many years. Why do you think that's that kind of evolved um, from what Cuban, the Cuban community is doing? That's a good, good question. Um, I mean, I think it's the, 
partly may I never really thought about this, but maybe because of the tobacco knowledge leaving Cuba, you got to remember, I think people forget a lot of the knowledge left when Castro mm -hmm. took over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the standards and also the American market and the American consumer has gotten a lot uh, more knowledgeable and picky and people want products ready to smoke. I mean, mm. and that's the, you know, like Dion does and I do, like these products are ready to go. We make products ready to smoke. That's what I want. Um, but mm. also you can age them at the same time and they do right. get better, you know, with age, but they are ready to smoke right away. I am constantly perplexed about the Cuban consumer, not only from aging standpoint, because I want my cigars ready to smoke, but also the quality control issues that Cuba, you know, encounters, um, you know, boxes that just have four or five sticks that don't draw, or um, I don't think the American consumer would tolerate something like that. There's a, there's a there's a great um, story that um that I've, I've had Nick Perdomo tell me a few times because I think it's hilarious. Uh, he was apparently I don't know if he was in Germany, maybe at the the Interdebach uh, show. This is a couple years ago, and he was handing out some of his cigars, and some German citizen, you know, took a sample and was smoking it, and he was like, "Hey, this like draws really well, and this ash like looks good. Like like what's the what's the deal here? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, well, like the ash is like supposed to like fall off. He's like, it's supposed to like you know, like it's supposed to be like tough to kind of draw. That's how you know it's quality. And he's, <laughs> He's like, what the hell are you talking about? But apparently that's, it's so ingrained because that's, that's what they smoke. Now, listen, I've had Cubans that are out of this world, you know, a part of this series D number four, I'll smoke one every day. But to Nick's point, when I buy a box of Illusione Perenay or I buy a box of Tabernacle, if one of those cigars maybe draws tighter as a stem in it, I would be shocked. It would be like understandable, but like, all right, one out of a box of 20, okay, but still weird. You buy a box of of Cubans, like you said, four, five, maybe even six. Just the the burn is off. Now, is this more of a construction thing or this kind of early fermentation that the tobacco is not burning right? You you have a combination, and not to cut Dion off, but no, no, I, no. I, I want to, you to, to go to go to go to your point. I was in you know when I was in last year in Nicaragua, a gentleman came from Mexico that owned a significant amount of Banos SA stores in Mexico. And we were having dinner with a, a fellow tobacco uh, grower and he pulled out two beautiful Cohiba. I don't know what they the name of them were. They were in these beautiful tubes, torpedoes. I mean, they were gorgeous. Mm. Pulled them out. He gave me two of them. He's going on about how they're about 70 bucks a piece in Mexico. I take this thing out, gorgeous presentation, cut the cigar, you ever have a straw that has a hole in it mm -hmm. and you can't pull through the straw? I'm struggling with this cigar and I'm feeling embarrassed because I feel embarrassed that, you know, this cigar is. And then I said to myself, why am I embarrassed? And then I said, you know, I'm sorry, sir, but this is, this is, this is terrible. It does, there's no draw. And then I began to break open the cigar and, you know, there seems to be, and I'm curious if Dion finds this, um, a significant amount of cigars that have the same draw problem where when they're tearing from the top, the tips and towards the base of the leaf, they are redistributing that tobacco where the band is. There's almost significantly, I always get yeah, you almost tight Cubans get that where knot. they're backfilling at yeah. the band. You almost get that yeah, knot right, right here. Right at so. the band. 
Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, probably yeah. a combination of that. I also think it's a combination of maybe the uh, when the raw materials are, are presented to the uh, Roleros on the Galera floor. I think uh, maybe a lot of that has to do with um, with the tobacco maybe being a little too humid, a little too wet. It may also have point. Uh, yeah. a, a little more a little more tar in there. The the also the grasa there might may not the grasa may not have been fully um, integrated uh, through fermentation. So there's a lot of things you know, like Nick said that 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 can go on. But when, once you get that tobacco and you put it together, you know you you know you tear off the top, you take it back here, and you know now you're backfilling with your pieces. And if you have sticky tobacco and those tobaccos stick together, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and also too, you, you also, I mean, there are many, many problems why a cigar either doesn't draw or doesn't combust. I mean, we can go on forever about this, but you know, there's another thing too, particularly in traditional bunching, um, your bunchers can either be left-hand dominant or right-hand dominant. So as you're, as you're rolling the tobacco, as you're bunching the tobacco, you, what, what would happen is you would almost get, if, if they're a little forceful, you know, rolling from right to left or left to right, you can also get a twist. You can get a twist in the bunch, almost, you know, like, like taking it and, and, and it almost, you know, kind of candy canes. Mm -hmm. And that causes significant problems too. I, I mean, I've opened many uh, cigars that have just had that problem. You can just tell by the way, you know, okay, this buncher was right-hand dominant because it's twisting a certain way. Yeah, you're, um, you're like, like a cigar, like 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 criminal profiler. You could tell by the smallest yeah. detail, like right. what the issue was. Uh, a question involving, um, you know, the, the kind of modern perception of of the Cuban cigar industry and, and just the product as a whole. Do you feel is there something special about Cuban tobacco, and it's just like more of the process is off today, or do you feel like? In terms of just straight tobacco, Nicaragua is definitely on par. Like it, it just kind of has this mysticism to it. Or do you feel Nicaraguan uh, Cuban tobacco can be much better than it is? It's just not being utilized correctly. I, you know, Cuban tobacco is is special in in that you know it the where it's grown. Um, I, I I don't think the quality control standards, the sorting, the growing practices the practices in the factories, the quality control standards are anywhere near mm. that of the Dominican, Nicaragua, or Honduras. Um, mm. You know, to me, what makes Nicaragua so special is that it it's the land of the most active volcanoes in Central America, mm. the most active volcanic soil, and that this soil, the plant that is grown there is so diverse from its lower priming tobaccos to its upper priming tobaccos. Like Dion was saying before, they do classify their tobacco differently, but also their Lijero, their strongest leaf in Cuba is maybe like Arviso in Nicaragua as far as strength. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say that amongst these other countries, Dominican, Honduras, the diversity in strength complexity uh, between the lower primings of and we're just talking about one plant and then you get into seed varieties, farm locations and all right. that. But just overall, this is what I, I feel Nicaragua has become so special and and why it's such an amazing tobacco, because the plant is so diverse because of, um, you know, the leaf. I don't necessarily, my opinion, see tobacco necessarily like one is better than the other. Like Nicaragua mm -hmm. is better than the Dominican or the Dominican is better than 
or Cuba's. But to me, what makes a tobacco better or worse is your quality control standards, your sorting and selecting, exactly. all of those factors. Because to me, every tobacco has its own characteristic hmm. that can be used, you know, in the blend. So yeah. I don't see them as like better or worse. But Cuba, I find fascinating, and I find fascinating the consumers. Like this gentleman from Mexico, I said, how many cigars in this box, you know, do you get like this? And he said, it's, this is consistent. You know, you get four or five sometimes cigars. I said, well, what is the consumer? He said, the consumer just, that's just the part of, they just accept it. That's fascinating to me that the brand perception and the mystique is so strong that the consumers tolerate that and still associate quality which I don't think the American consumer would, would no, no not 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 um, the consumer that. I'm curious that, to know what Dion thinks. Yeah. Not the consumer. I don't think the consumer that we're used to dealing with. But yeah, uh, Dion, I, I would love to hear your uh, your. Yeah, point. so I mean, I think really, look, the thing that really makes Cuba special, okay, is their soil uh, relative to where they are on the equatorial plane. Um, it's it's a climate and it's a region on the equatorial plane that is perfect, perfect for growing tobacco. Their pH levels are, are exemplary, almost in a natural, in their natural state. So that being said, you know, it kind of go, it comes down to what Nick is talking about. It's, it's, you can have the best tobacco in the world, but if you can't get to the smoke, what's the point, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad cigar is a bad cigar, no matter how good the tobacco is in it, if you can't get proper combustion or you're not getting to the smoke or the flavors or if all the uh, tobaccos aren't firing you know if they aren't firing on all eight cylinders and and the, the balance in the body isn't coming around to give you what the uh, the blender intended to give you when he put together that cigar you know and it's like I, I also tell people all the time too and and I love it right now because there's people out there with like you know with like the Charlie Brown you know on yeah. the head because they think we're talking about that about Cuban cigars and we're not hmm. you know uh but the thing that, that I constantly tell people, you know, so somebody walks up to me and says, oh, French wines are the best. I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know, like uh, from what region? Left bank, right bank. You like Burgundies? You like Bordeaux? Um, what year? What vintage? Uh, uh, who was the, uh, uh, the vintner? That, 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 you know, there's a whole lot of things right. that go into winemaking, right? It's like, so I say, yes. French wine, there are some, there are some world-class French wines, but not all French wines are world-class. You have world-class French wines coming out of Spain, Argentina, um, uh, Australia, uh, uh, Northern California. You have, in my opinion, probably some of the best Pinot ever to be grown uh, and, and vented in the world that comes out of Oregon, you know? So it's like, which is it? Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about you know, uh, one particular region is the best. Well, I mean, I can tell you that, okay, maybe in some, somebody's opinion that, you know, uh, the Bahique is the best cigar they ever smoked. Okay. So, but that's not indicative of all Cuban cigars, you know, because right. if you pick up a, uh, a Vagueros or a, uh, Jose El Piedra, I mean, Guantanamero. Yeah. Guantanamero. I mean, you're, 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 that's not, in my opinion, what would be classified as the greatest cigar. In the right. World. It may have some components of very, very good tobacco, but by and large, you know. I, so I, think, it, I think it's like the, the, that kind of the history and that mysticism behind Cuban cigars that it's just people who really aren't in the know. Uh, I'm not saying you have to be a total cigar nerd to appreciate a cigar, 
but these people are, oh no, Cubans are the best. I'm like, that's because some magazine or some TV show told you that and yet it's just expected. Cuba is just synonymous right. with cigars like France's with wine. I'm more partial to Italian Chianti's myself, but I appreciate that France right. is known for their winemaking, but- uh, And you can't get them. Yeah. So that, that, that this contributes yeah. to the allure and the mystique of the- of the brand. Um, exactly. And I, I, I find them also to be, and it might be, you know, just different because of um, the evolution of my, my palate, but I find them to be sometimes incredibly mild, which I, I don't, I don't know if I ever talked to you about this Dion, but finding back in the the nineties, I remember the strength level of a lot of the Cubans oh, yeah. to have, a bit more body. It was brutal. Strength. Some of those cigars um, were brutal, yeah. man. Which I think because they're much lighter, they can tend to cater towards palates that mm. don't necessarily smoke as often or, you know, the, the, that, that, that market is a very large market. You know, a lot of people, so, so it's, you know, it's I think, funny you say yeah. that. Uh, because where, you know, back in the seventies uh, to like the early nineties, you know, a lot of the Cuban cigars, I mean, were big, full body, they were robust. I mean, like some of the punches that I used to, you know, have back then, I mean, they, you know, they got me spinning. It would take me like two or three sittings to like smoke a full, you know, cigar back in the day. I don't know if that was because I was novice or, or what have you, but you know, when I was getting the cabs, you know, like punch cabs back in the day, I mean, they were just, they were very, very strong, but it was funny because as, as Cuba was on the, uh, on the upswing, you had the Dominican Republic, which was kind of like on the milder side. And then all of a sudden it like, it got so many more people into cigars, you know, with Macanudo and Partagas and, you know, um, right. You know, you can go down the line of the, of the great Dominican cigars, you know, even Davidoff. So they're going this way. And then all of a sudden Cuba started going to the milder side. And then as they started doing that, guess what? <laughs> the, everybody else started doing this, you know, the, the DR and Nicaragua, they all started. Right. Upping you know, the, the strength and the, and, and the volume of, uh, of, of, of the strength of the tobacco. So I, I always thought that that was kind of funny yeah. that, you know, we were, we were passing, you know, that Cuba and then, you know, the other countries are kind of passing each other, you know, as we were going by now, now it's kind yeah. of coming back again. So. So why do you think that is Dion? Do you think it's because basically uh, those early Dominicans, like you said, Macanudo, um, mm. you know, your, your early part, I guess your early, you know, Monte Cristo classics, they were able to attract a wider demographic people, you know, not necessarily going to destroy you with a lot of strength. But right. as the American market became more informed and kind of realized more what they were looking similar to like the beer industry, you know, everyone was drinking, you know, Budweiser, <laughs> but as the palates evolved, they started looking for more complex, richer, more flavorful beers. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of happened with the American markets. And now you have companies like you guys who make very complex stuff. But why did I, I'm, I'm finding curious why the Cubans decided to kind of go that other way at like the wrong time? You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I'm not sure other than it just might have been, you know, hey, there's a large a large market out there that maybe we can't hit that, that mm. we can approach that, that would like our cigars if we just if we just toned them down. Mm. Uh, but isn't that the I, larger market, Dion? Is it? It is. Nick, it's Nick. Yeah. The larger market is we're into cigars, Nick. You're into it. Mm. We're all in the business, and we're amongst more you know people that are really into it, and they generally tend to lean towards the fuller, 
more complex blends. But the reality is, is that the volume wise selling cigars are Connecticut shade cigars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are yeah. the, um, so, I mean, I think to that, that day it's true. Although what you're saying, Nick, is true. The market, they're also developed this much stronger, you know, heavier blends market also, but the volume yeah. is generally towards those, um, you know, I, I, 75 to 80%. Yeah, seventy-five yeah, that's a big number. percent of the entire market uh, enjoys mild to medium-bodied cigars. Do you, you ever know? see that changing? Do that's you see it. that changing in, in a big way? Because I, I, I have to imagine that you know, fifteen years ago, it was it was probably even larger. Um, mm -hmm. And these companies kind of dominated the market before the likes of a Tatawahe or an Illusione or a Foundation. Do you see that number of people looking for a more complex cigar maybe hitting a, a forty or fifty percent one day, or do you think this is kind of just, just I don't know of the general populace. This is kind of what we're looking at for. It's weird because I always find myself, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll smoke strong cigars. I'll smoke full bodied, rich cigars. Um, but I always find myself uh, going back into this comfort zone of this uh, um, uh, full bodied cigar, but medium in strength mm. um, and, and not really going for, you know, the nicotine drip or the nicotine hiccups or anything like that, because it's, it just wears on you. And, right. you know, I'd like to enjoy it. I, I like pulling out the subtleties and the nuances of some milder cigars. But, you know, again, it, it's, you know, we've talked about it before. Hinky said the easiest thing, you know, Heinrich Kellner said, easiest thing in the world is to do is blend a strong cigar. Mm. It's the easiest thing to do in the world. It's, it's however, a very difficult process to blend a mild to medium bodied cigar with a lot of complexity. Right. No, I agree. 100%. And I think that's where, that's where you guys succeed. Now I want to step away from Cuba for a bit because I want to talk about the true passion you guys have for tobacco. And that is in the heart of Nicaragua. Um, now you, you had mentioned before Dion, um, cause I, I kind of want to start from the bottom and work my way up literally um, that Cuban terms for Lajero, Viso, Seco are different than ours. I was doing a little research on this for a blog the other day, actually. Um, but I just wanted to hear your take. Um, these terms, Lajero, Seco, Viso, that maybe your semi-informed cigar, you know, Lajero is top of the tobacco plant and Seco and Viso. What, what meaning do those names actually have in real? Is it just kind of location on the plant or does it have to do with uh, like flavor wise, it have to do with how the, that those leaves look like, what do those actual terms uh, mean? So, you know, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Nick field that question, but sure. uh, you know, before I hand it over to him, um, these are broad terms. These are general terms, right? right. So if you see, you know, um, Volato, Seco, Viso, Lijero, uh and Corona, this is a, a broad general term for tobaccos. Actually, companies uh, or, or leaf producers, leaf growers, actually kind of have their own language uh, in many cases of what yeah. their primings are, you know, like uh, Oliva tobacco, you know, they, they classify their tobaccos differently than what we, so, you know, something that I would say um, is a, is a Viso cutting four, they would call it a, they would call it a, a number 16, mm. you know, or number 15. Uh, but anyways, yeah. go ahead with, with uh, go ahead with that, Nick, on the uh, classifications. No, I, I I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it really goes based on the provider, the grower have their you know own classifications. I think this is why Nick, you know, even with you know, you were talking about the color shades, you yeah. called me up, and it's there's no really set standard of how you know how it's set, and 
depending on who the grower is, um, who's fermenting the tobacco, and then who, you know, if they're selling it into the market and who their customers are, they might have different customers. Mm. So they're pulling out leaf specifically for certain customers and might have grades and classifications based on that. And then they also might have different color classifications. Mm. I remember I never got to see the Indonesian where there used to be an Indonesian market in Europe where all the Indonesian tobacco would go. And the Dutch, you know, have been really heavily involved in Sumatra and Indonesian growing tobacco for, for hundreds of years. They used to have classifications of colors that were insane. I mean, there was like a <laughs> hundred different colors and I, you know, you couldn't, so they had certain customers that this just sort of developed in time. Um, and then also in Brazil, they have their own classification here in Connecticut. We have our own classification of how we, we don't say Lijero, we say number one darks. Um, hmm. but then that's how it's classified here. Um, uh, long seconds, um, there's a grade called mediums here in the Valley. But generally, you know, when you're dealing with filler plants, this plant is growing towards the sun. This is the energy of the plant wants to flower. And usually at 55 days around that mark, the flower is being topped. So then the energy is all going into the, the leaves of the plant. So for those who, you know, just the basics is, Generally speaking, your bottom leaves are you're going to be your lighter leaves, the middle of the plant, they're going to be thicker and more of your medium bodied leaves. And then the top of the plant, your lijero is going to be your thicker, stronger leaves because all of the energy is concentrating towards the top of that plant. Um, and from there, you know, you get into seed varieties, mm. farm locations, and things can get, um, you know, pretty kind of complex in that way as far as classifications but so do you find it is difficult? that kind of where you were yeah, yeah do you find it difficult to kind of navigate that um like when you're maybe working with uh an aj or an agonorso do you have to kind of have to figure out each company's like kind of classification so you can know what to ask for to totally and i i think dion can speak that because uh agonorso itself they have their own hmm. processes in 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 uh classifications and um I think Dion's even, you know, much more familiar with that in many sense because he, he's he's worked with them on all levels. I, you know, before I started my own company, would purchase a lot of tobacco from them, but I was focused on certain certain right. leaves, um, as and I wasn't using as much binders or their wrapper, um, and that's one of the main reasons why I worked with them because you know Dion had had so much experience with them and. Uh, when I was first starting, and and uh, I think Dion was actually down in Nicaragua at the time, uh, about six years ago, and uh, you know he said, "Come on over to the factory, let's hang out." And um, you know I was really interested in working with Nicaraguan wrapper because hmm. I hadn't really worked with it much, and Dion has a tremendous amount of experience with it, so. Um, yeah, but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I think you, you got to learn, um, you got to learn every grower, every, you know, provider has their own way of doing things. 
Dion, can you give us a little bit of insight? I know you're you're heavily involved. You're not just a guy to kind of just like mm-hmm. say, I want a cigar made. I want to taste like this. You're down in the factory. You're blending. You're yeah. you're in the fields picking leaves. Can you give us a little insight into kind of how Aganorsa classifies? And is it is it vastly different, or is it kind of within the realm of what one would expect in the in the cigar industry? You're yeah, so on top and yes, exactly. So for the most part, yeah, we do uh, classify. Uh, leaves as being uh, Volado Seco Viso Lejero and then Corona or uh, you know you also have Medio Tiempo. Are they um, different? Is, is Corona Medio you know, Tiempo different? Yeah it's essentially the end life of the uh, the, the end life of the plant. Okay. Um, and you know it, it comes it comes in small quantities uh, and, and it can be really good you know hmm. um, and it's funny I just I made about a thousand cigars because I found this box of tobacco of 2006 on the floor and I was, there wasn't a lot for me to do on the factory that day because we were, re, we were retooling, uh, putting some of the rollers uh, onto my stuff as uh, they were finishing up other projects. So I just kind of dinking around in the factory and I'm grabbing tobacco, I'm practicing my bunching skills. And so I'm going through this tobacco, I'm like, Harold, this is really, really good. I'm like, you know, how much of this back there do you have? He's like, what is it? It's like the, uh, it's, it's the box back there with the 2006 on it. He's like, show me. So I walked back there into the sorting room and he's like oh yeah that's all we got you know um and i'm like okay we're gonna go put this together so i grabbed the hand of it we sat down and i used a, a particular blend uh that 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 i already use in in in, in the market and i said let's replace the visa with this and uh i put it together i'm like man this thing is outstanding so i got out the calculator i'm like okay what, what is there about a bale there he's like yeah just a little under bale so what is that like about 1200 cigars He's like yeah about a thousand cigars i'm like okay take that tobacco and we're gonna make a six and three quarter by 48 out of all this tobacco it's mine so that's really you know of, of that type now it, it's not to say that more is coming or more can come in the future but for what i found there that was it that was all that's right. all that could be found in the factory and i got it so you know back to your question of you know classification you know to next point yeah we do we we, we use general terms or broad terms you know so if we look uh, at tobaccos. And so I, I really get down to the farms and not only the farms, but the lots within the farms and then the primings within those farms. So like, say if I'm on one particular, or if I'm looking at one particular tobacco from like, say a farm in, let's just say Jalapa, right? And there's eight lots up there. So depending on the time of the season, when it's grown, if it's grown early in the season, the tobacco is going to perform and taste a little differently than a tobacco that's going to be grown a month or two months later that has longer sun, uh, maybe a little less water. So say like in the beginning of the growing season, um, as I'm looking and smoking through the lots, I might take lot one, lot four, and lot six uh, for my particular viso. Uh, at a specific priming because it it hits five or six points that I look for as far as aroma, flavor, taste, um, uh, olfactory, olfactory palate stimulation. So I look at that. Then as other tobaccos come out of pre-industria and fermentation, those lots that perform really well at the beginning of the season may not be the same lots that I pick uh, during later uh, parts of the growing season because uh, the sun has changed, or you may have less cloud cover, or you may have more cloud cover, or you may have less rain or more rain. So you really, what it comes down to is getting into the tobacco and smoking it, and not just taking it for granted and saying, oh yeah, these are the best lots. I only want lot one, lot four, and lot six. 
right. you know, the, the second <clears throat> part of the growing season, I might have to go to lot eight. I might have to go to lot three and five, you know, it just, it, it really depends because if it doesn't hit the five or six points that I look for in viso, mm. you know, or Seiko, you know, they all have different specific characteristics and ways that they need to perform, whether it's combustion, whether it's taste, whether it's olfactory, um, what have you, they'll have to have a specific, uh, they'll have to tell me a specific uh, uh, thing. You know, they, they, they all have, you know, within tobacco itself, tobacco is a language, right? And you have to learn how to speak mm. the tobacco language. But within that, you know, the tobacco, the primings, they have like little, um, little dialects, right? So your, your, your Seiko is going to tell you something completely different than the higher priming visos or the Lajero on the plant, even though that comes from the same plant, mm. you know? So it's like, yeah, it's the same tobacco. It might have some similar characteristics, but it's almost like a different dialect in a country. It's speaking the same language. You just have to notice yeah. the nuances, you know, that, that, that the, the uh, interpret the new, the, the nuances that it's telling you. So um, it, it's a lot of work and it's hard. It's mentally exhausting sometimes, but in order to keep that quality and that consistency, you have to do it. And if you're not doing it, you're just leaving it to whoever to make your decisions for you. And, 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 and I, me personally, I can't do that, you know, cause I, 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 I don't have that type of, I have OCD. So, and I can yeah. immediately tell if something is, 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 is effed up. It's explanations like that why I really wanted to get you on this show again. I can listen to you talk about this stuff for for hours, and I think that listening to what you're saying, um, you know, my palates change over time, and, and what I look for in a cigar has changed over time as I've you know matured. Not that I'm a mature guy, I mean I'm wearing a Budweiser hoodie, but as I've as my my cigar <laughs> knowledge and, and palate has matured. Um, you know, I used to look for a lot of flavor or a cool size, and now one of the main things I look for is consistency. And that is something that with every illusion I've ever had, if it's, if it's the same size from the same, you know, from the same line, I'm like, this tastes exactly as I remember it. And it, it takes that detail of knowing these different variables that go into it to get that consistency. And I'll tell you as one of your, uh, as one of your fans, thank you for doing that. No problem, man. You know, and I, and I could say that probably the same thing about Nick here too, because I remember, you know, uh, uh, Nick's got a couple of projects that come out, comes out of AJ's factory. And, you know, I've been to AJ's factory many times, smoked through his tobacco, have even used uh, some of his tobacco uh, from time to time. Um, <clears throat> but by and large, you know, the cigars that were to AJ style and AJ's palate, even though they were good, they're good for many, many millions of, you know, or millions of, for making millions of cigars uh, and for hundreds of thousands of people enjoying them um they just weren't kind of they, they weren't in my wheelhouse then nick goes over there and then he gives me something he's like here try this and i'm like dude what is this it's like oh i'm doing this over here and i'm like this doesn't taste like anything that comes out of there man it's like and then then i'm just like now the friggin' wheels are spinning you know mm. and i i remember we're sitting at uh you know we're sitting at dinner one night and he, and he gives me uh one of his tabernacles and, you know, I'm trying to pick it apart. He's like, no, man, it's not that it's this. And I'm like, well, isn't that? And he's like, no, man, no. So he really kind of opened my mind to um, what AJ has over there, but with Nick's knowledge and his expertise in, um, in tobacco and raw materials, how he could take the same uh, raw materials that AJ has at hand and put it together and get something so unique. Mm. And just so juicy and rich and 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 you know delicious. I mean, it completely 
you know, opened my mind. And that's the great thing, uh, you know, about having a friend like Nick is because we always, you know, are, are bouncing things off of each other and talking about business and, you know, in, in our industry. And for the most part, you know, sitting down with the old, you know, with the Cubans, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, whether it was Arsenio or Arsinto, even still today, sitting down with them, you know, they don't just freely offer up information. But if you mm -hmm. ask them, they won't lie to you. They'll tell right. you exactly what it is. They'll tell you why. They'll tell you how it came about. But you got to ask, you know, so it's like this big roundtable thing. And so Nick in, in that type, you know, Nick and I in that type of um, uh, in, in the spirit of the old world style, you know, we, we'd like to, to talk about it. And we like to make sure that, you know, that we're on the same plane and that we're looking at the same things or that we're kind of like on the same path. Another guy that, that really does that too really well. And I love talking to him is Ernesto Carrillo. I mean, you sit down with that guy, I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge, Yeah, you know, but no, I, yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick is making some incredible things. You know, that's that's why I, Dion is very Dion. I do enjoy what Nick what exactly what you said is why I I think we really hit it off when we first met. Um, I think we first met Dion back in 08, 09 in Nicaragua. Oh mm -hmm. Yeah, um, is just the way he's able to articulate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of these things that I've I've seen and experienced, but the way he articulates them is an art form in, in itself because he he describes things so perfectly um in in what the process is and and what i'm trying to do also um so yeah i think that's why we we sort of hit it off from from the beginning and we were fortunate to spend uh, a lot of time together in nicaragua when we first met and just you know it was like you know two kids in a in a in a toy store because we were just you know just around tobacco doing what we loved. And, you know, I, I don't claim to know anything really, you know, I'm always learning. And I think that's what, what's gotten me to this point. I think Dion's, you know, the same in the same position because you do have to listen to the tobacco you do. There is a language being spoken and there's so many fine details that from the outside, you would never think there are until you, you know, really get into it. And I think just observing and learning from a lot of these amazing people like Arsenio Ramos, you know, um, Ernesto Perez is, is also one of my, you know, tobacco kind of idols and just the wealth of knowledge that exists, you know, in Nicaragua from families mm. that have been in the tobacco industry for, you know, many decades and just learning and uh, listening to the leaf and, you know, experimenting and uh, yeah, coming up with new stuff. Yeah, you but guys, like, yeah, I mean, there's another, there's another brain. Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, yeah, you get around I mean, that guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think, you know, Arsenio Ramos, uh, God rest his soul, um, was, man, it just uh, always uh, a man to be around and listen to the way he talked about tobacco and his, just love for the leaf. You know, you see these guys, it is, it's in their blood. Um, they have such a passion for it. So to learn from, from these, these guys in that older generation, and then yeah. being able to put your own spin on things, you know, being able to put your own um, likes in. And uh, that's kind of how I started learning tobacco. You know, when I first got to Nicaragua is I knew what I loved in cigars, you know, and being able to then, 
identify where some of these flavor profiles that I really loved, where they were coming from, and then, you know, seed varieties at farms. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, constant growing and learning. You guys have, I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but just for, you know, from my experience in the industry is you guys have such a unique perspective that you lend where it's, it's, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, there, there is some business involved. You want to make sure your cigar is successful and, and, and selling, but you have such a passion for all the smaller details from like Dion was saying from, oh, you know, the, there was not a lot of rain in, in this acreage last month. So I want to make sure that it's going to be similar, you know, similar for, for the, you know, how 10. So I got the, the amount of detail and passion you guys and the perspective you give to your blends is something incredible. And I think it's what makes you guys so important to, to this industry now is you're carrying on this legacy of just true passion for the product. Um, there's a lot of great companies out there. Some of them, you know, like to focus on the marketing. Some of them like, to fo- I just want to make a really strong cigar. I'm going to make an expensive cigar. You guys want to make just the, the best cigar. Yeah, we want to make the right cigar, the right cigar that, that, that's not only right for us, that's for everybody else, but the, exactly. the, the cigar that has to represent who we are and, and what we want to get out of it. And, you know, and that only comes through just, painstaking time effort and work and and knowing what you need and knowing how it has to be and how it has to be consistent um you know the tobacco that you grow the tobacco that grows in different farms whether it's you know esteli condego or alapa whatever you're looking at so if i'm using one tobacco like say from esteli right it comes from a farm in esteli now i look at the farm and every year it okay I'm going to try and find the right way to say it. It, it, it can be similar, but it's not the same, mm-hmm. right? So essentially as new crop years come up and things come through fermentation and through, uh, through the fermentation process, through pre-industria to sorting to the Galera floor or before the Galera floor, when they go into Pacas, or even if you're reviewing the pilones, you know, you, it, it's really, I mean, every time you use a different tobacco from a different crop year, uh, or a different crop within the same year, it's a reblending process. You know, it's mm-hmm. you essentially have to reblend your cigar to make it taste the same as the last cigar with the previous year's tobacco, right? So it's exactly. this constant uh, upkeep and tending to it because sometimes uh, if you know Mother Nature deals you a little less rain and a little more sun, the leaves are smaller and maybe they're a little thicker, so you got to go down a priming. If there's a lot of cloud cover and there's a lot more rain, maybe the, the leaves get a little bigger, uh, get a little more washed out. They're a little thinner. Now you have to go up a priming hmm. on your V. So just to maintain that, that flavor or that style or that body, you know, just you can't use cutting for viso from one particular farm all the time and hope that it's going to work because, you know, most of the time it will, but sometimes it doesn't. And right. when you use it, and it's not right. I mean, you can tell, even though that you're maybe only using two leaves or a leaf and a half in there, you can immediately tell that it's wrong and you have to fix it. I mean, it's definitely that, that attention to detail, like, like I said before, Dion, that, that I love and, and that perspective. Nick, when you started Foundation, um, obviously you had come from Drew Estate, um, obviously, you know, massive amounts of tobacco. You kind of got to play with whatever you want. When, when you worked on your first blend, and I'm sure you you probably talked to Dion a little bit about it, considering you know it was your first kind of Nicaraguan wrapper and everything on the on the original Wednesday. 
What was that like? What, what was it like kind of different company using different tobaccos than any you ever used before? What, what was that whole kind of uh, experience like for you? So, you know, fortunately, I ha- I've had experience, you know, working with a lot of the tobaccos, mm. like, like I said before, um, but some of the tobaccos, not as much. So, for example, the wrapper, you know, the, uh, the Corojo wrapper from Jalapa. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to have Dion there in Arsenio Ramos, which really helped me um, in that mm. process when I when I was uh, working on well, Wednesday, but it was kind of natural for me because I had worked with um, many of those tobaccos before. And for me being my first project, I really wanted to do 100% Nicaraguan blend because I never really worked on a blend that was 100% filler binder wrapper for for uh, Nicaraguan for the market. Although I played around a lot with many blends over the years, um, you know, I knew I wanted to to have that Nicaraguan puro. So for me, it was nice because it was a natural transition, you know, having Dion there, knowing the guys, you know, I'd known Arsenio since 2003, Asinto over at the Eduardo Fernandez for so many years, had a relationship, had been purchasing, you know, a lot of tobacco um, from them. So for me, it was, it was really natural and they really opened their doors to me and, you know, let me do whatever I wanted to do at the factory. And Mm. it was also great because I was able to bring some of my experience and knowledge and know-how to their operation and help, you know, um, with their operation also. So it was a good kind of um, great exchange, you know, two-way street where it just sort of, sort of naturally happened. Um, but yeah, yeah I think it was that's like Dion the, the and I kind just of the took way. over where we left off. Yeah, and and you know to yeah. to next point, it's you know uh, having ha- him having that relationship with the uh, with the farmers um, gave him a lot of comfort in coming into uh, the factory. Plus, again, it was an exchange of ideas. They already knew him. they already knew Nick. They already respected Nick for his tobacco knowledge. And again, it just wasn't like walking into a place and saying this is how we do it. You're going to get it, how we make it. And that's it. It's that, that is not how it is. Um, at, at, uh, at Tabsa, um, because a lot of things that they used to do back in the day, um, are by and large, completely different than how we do them now from the uh, bunching techniques to, uh, laying binders, to many different processes in the factory it's it's kind of evolved right but it's it's evolved for for it's it's evolved for good purposes it's evolved to make everybody better it's evolved to make cigars better not just like well you know what you can't tell me how to make cigars because i've been doing this all my life and there's only one way to do it and this is the way well that's why there are certain countries that are still making cigars the way they're still making them Mm -hmm. and uh, they may not be to the to the quality or the consistency that we like, but we've found we we've taken uh, we've taken um, I guess things from those those particular uh, uh, factories or areas or regions that you know certain cigars come out and say okay well they're doing it this way how can we make it better how can we fix this problem because especially in tobacco half your day is spent on procuring and getting the tobaccos ready to go and the other half of the day is is spent on 
fixing problems and they're not necessarily big problems it might be a little problem you know it might be you know maybe a new roller coming into the factory that maybe came from a a different factory down the street that had a specific way of bunching and uh, if he's working on say like a project like mine or a project like nick's um certain things have to be done in a way that elicits the flavor or that brings out the most potential for the flavor in that cigar right and if you're laying leaves wrong if you're laying binders wrong if you're positioning leaves differently uh, within the bunch uh or maybe even adding a half a gram more it could be as little as a half a gram more it could completely change the overall dynamic and flavor of the cigar so i mean it, it it's it might feel like nitpicking but you know the boncheros they're they're very receptive and they're very very talented and they know how to change and to switch on a dime and go okay you know instead of doing this just do this boom you know they want to do it they want to get it done because you know they have an allotment that they want to make right. they need to make a certain amount and so they say if okay if i do it this way there's probably less chance for rejection which means i'm going to get paid you know the full day and, and that's it so i mean it's 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 really not a thing about ego uh in our factory or how we do things it's 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 a, it's a very dynamic process you know and right. a lot of times it has to be because of the tobacco you know because if you introduce a new tobacco or a different type of tobacco and you try and do it uh the way that you're used to doing it you know the tobacco is going to fight you and it's going to say nope sorry you know until you learn how to lay that tobacco or use it right then then he plays nice in the playground with the other kids so it's all it comes down to. So you, you need to be able to adapt. And I think that that's something that, as you said, Absolutely. Uh, you, you, that you, uh, that both of you and, and the facilities that you guys use have done very well. Uh, and Nick, I got to give you credit. Uh, you know, you know, I've been a big fan of yours since day one, but a friend of mine who's a cigar smoker, he's going to remain nameless, but I always try to give him like the, the good stuff. And he's like, yeah, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. I gave him a Wednesday just a few weeks ago and he literally nubbed it. It was one of the, it was from nice. a box. It was from a box you had given me from our, when I visited you for the first time in Connecticut a couple of years ago. And he's like, this oh, nice. is the most ridiculous thing I've ever smoked. And I'm like, yeah, that's gotta be three years now. Yeah. yeah I, have it, I have it in my humidor app. Yeah. It was, uh, it was 2017. Um, Time flies. So obviously you guys are super familiar with each other and the processes and, and are fans of each other. Um, in terms of other brands that we've talked about today, both of you had mentioned Davidoff and Padron as kind of other, top shelf brands that you smoke. Um, I ask this question to a lot of uh, people about, you know, like who, who stuff are you really interested in? And do you know that an overwhelming amount of people I've asked in this industry from media members to other manufacturers to retailers, Foundation and Lugione, Dion and Nick, I, I love, I always get excited when Dion and Nick makes up and that's, that's throughout the industry. I, I've heard that. How does that make you guys feel that you, that you're kind of on this, on that's this pedestal cool. of, 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 of everyone just, just respects you and, and the process. Man, doesn't, doesn't feel bad. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's really, it's an, you know, it's an honor to be, um, you know, that have that kind of feedback from your peers and, and other people in the industry. And, um, you know, I think everybody that's in the industry, they, you know, we know how much work goes into it. Um, and it's a lot, you know, I think what we, we sell sometimes it's almost like magic has brought it to the shelf. And, um, you know, I think it's great for people to, to learn the process, but to be recognized by people that, you know, know how much you're putting into your products. Um, mm. you know, it's a, it's an honor. And, yeah. uh, 
Yeah, it's yeah. real humbling. Um, it I, humbling. I can imagine it is. Nick, what are what are uh... illusion? <laughs> It's all, it's all, it's all his fans calling him to tell him how much they love it. Uh, Nick, what are some of your, what are some of your favorite cigars that, that Dion is, uh, has put together? And Dion, I'm going to ask you the reverse question in just a moment. So get your answer ready. I met, you know, I, Epernay was like my first real love because Dion had, um, I think I have a few left, but he gave me the, um, I think Dion, it was that 50 count box of Epernay is that mm. I'm talking like 2009 or 2010 mm-hmm. we actually were out in uh, Colorado yeah and we had um that uh am I right saying it was a 50 count uh yeah I think count? so they may have been the uh the, the yeah. firms I mean yeah a, a lot of my Epernays back in the day came in cab 50s um yeah so yeah I think it was the La Firm. yeah yeah, that that cigar, you know, uh, made me fall in love with with Illusione, um right away. And I'm also a big fan of his um, his Rothschild, like the um, his 50 count, the Illusion Rothschild, because I mean, we talked about that early on. We both had a similar love for a product back in the 90s. And um, Dion sort of, you know, recreated his own Rothschild with um you know, just amazingly. And that that's just an amazing cigar. And I think the price point is just amazing on that product also. But those are definitely two of them that that really stand out that, that I love. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I'm definitely a fan of the uh, of the Epernay and the Rothschild was one of the first illusions I had the, the pleasure of smoking. Dion, how about you? What are some of your favorite uh, foundations? And the Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Um, He's fielding calls right now. <laughs> no, Robert just told me the phones were down. I think it's because I I yanked the cord out of the <laughs> out of the wall. That, um, that happens. So, okay, I'll I'll go back like even further, like when you know when I had first met Nick over at Drew Estate. You know he he always had stuff on his desk in his office. He's like, "Here, man, you got to try this. You want to try this?" And so I'm smoking. I'm smoking cigars and these were blends he was coming up for, you know, whether it was the, you know, the, the Liga series or the uh, T52 series. And then he gave me this one cigar out of this bag. I was sitting on his desk. And I'm like, man, what the hell is this? And he's like, Oh yeah. You like that? It's like, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and then he, you know, he goes down, you know, through all uh, the tobaccos he's using and it wound up being the UF 13. Oh. Uh, and oh. it was like, I mean, when Nick was tending, it's, dude, don't get me wrong, okay? Because w- what they're doing over there is admirable. And they're, they're still holding true to, I, to what the vision and, 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 and the, uh, the respect to, to those cigars are. But Nick just added that little bit of twist. And, and his, you know, I don't know if you want to call it his passion, his heart, you know, his romanticism of it but i mean he handed me a cigar and it blew my mind i mean you know I, I said this is this is like if if i had the most perfect um let's say uh uh padron 46 year anniversary right mm-hmm. um or, or 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 something like that similar i'm like i'm like this is everything i would look for in a full-bodied cigar it's rich it's complex 
it just had everything going on. So then I'm just all, I was up their ass all the time. I'm like, so Nick sent me home with like two bundles of UF 13s. You lucky dogs. Yeah. They weren't even out, you know, they weren't even out and I'm smoking them. And so I'm finding myself hitting up Nick and he's like, Oh no, you know, we don't have any right now. We're, we're, we're between this. We're waiting for this tobacco. I'd hit up John. He's like, uh, yeah, man. He's like, I'll send you a couple boxes. Just do me a favor. Gary really likes your Epernay Le Petites. Send Gary a box of Petites and I'll send you uh, some of my, you know, I'll send you some mm-hmm. UF-13. So the UF-13s were really like my cigar, you know, it's like, right. you know, I, I found any way I could to get them because, you know, that, that one time that, you know, I was sitting there with Nick. Um, so the other, uh, the other thing, you know, flash forward into like 2018, 2019, I go into the factory and uh, Nick isn't there. And I can't remember if you were going to, you're arriving a day or two later or whatever it was, but anyways, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the factory, you know, just looking at my production and check, you know, looking on his production and making sure, you know, that the weights are right and stuff. You know, he's got the, uh, the Menelik that's coming off the table and I'm smoking. I'm like, man, man, this is good. And, if, and, and I'm really getting kind of jealous. I'm like, where the fuck, where did he find this tobacco? You know? So I'm like, show me where that tobacco is. I'm like, fuck, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is what he's using? Really? Like, well, how does it come together like that? So I, I didn't get into the That's blending, it. you know, or anything. Like, I didn't talk to Harold too much about it. So they would come in every morning, you know, I would either go out on the, on the Galera floor and grab my cigars and I would smoke them. I'd make sure, you know, that they're good. I'd go through the weights and stuff and um, but guys would come in and out of the office and they'd ask me, what are you smoking? And I'd have all my cigars laid out in front of me. And I'm just sitting here like this. And I'm like, Menelik, second day, got all this, my cigar sitting in front of me. I'm just like, like, what are you smoking? I'm like, Menelik. I'm like, it's, it's just so friggin' good. So then that's when I started texting Nick. I'm like, dude. I'm like, you got to make me a six and three quarter by 48 in this blend. I don't care how much you're going to don't fucking charge me whatever you want. I don't care. I said, I want 50 bundles. I want them just for me. And uh, I still haven't gotten them yet. But, <laughs> so wait, so wait a second. They said that they shipped them up to you. No, you never got them. What the Menelik, the six and three quarter by four? No. All right. I never got them. Yeah. Uh-oh, they, they told me that they shipped them up to you. No, they ship my cigars. They ship they ship my uh, okay. my two thousand sixes because they were made, oh, okay. and they were shipped up to Miami. Ooh! I, I, once we get off with this, I'm going to check. Yeah, but because the last time you had to remind me two times, and then I made sure that that they made them, but oh. they told me that they were shipped up. So I thought okay. you got them. Yeah, Nick, you also you know, promised me you, you promised me just, one of those too last week, Nick. So you better. Uh, could, this is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's worth uh, mentioning. You know, Dion and I met, and this is a cigar that you know I'd like to mention because it has to be mentioned. But we met in '09. It's got to be '09, right? Yeah, I think '09. Uh, well, let's see. '08, '09, yeah, '08, yeah, '09. It was when, uh, yeah. Um, we really, you know, worked together on a brand called Nesotros, which was a DE Illusion collaboration um, mm. called Nesotros. So basically, you know, we spent a bunch of time together and I was able to just, you know, 
I was in charge of all the tobacco purchasing at DE. So I pretty much, you know, laid out all of these bales of tobacco. And there it is. Oh, Why have boy. I never seen that before? Oh boy. That it's, wow. those are, those are like uh, diamonds, like a rare, rare diamond. You got the Robustos? I got the 60. um, ah. Anyway, you know, (laughs) just to see Dion, you know, Dion work, Mm. you know, it was a newer relationship. We we hit it off, but, you know, I didn't really know much of his his knowledge in tobacco. Like, I, I, I really wasn't familiar too much with his background at that time because I was in Nicaragua all the time. I was out of tune with what was really was happening in the market as far as other brands and whatnot. So, you know, it was kind of not following social media. It wasn't as, mm. as present. So I wasn't fully aware of like his background and knowledge in tobacco. And within, you know, a day of working with him, I started, oh, oh wow. I mean, this, this guy has, has some serious knowledge. And then to see him work and put together that blend and that, that first blend he put together for that cigar was probably to this date one of the best cigars I've ever smoked in my life. Dude, wow. with those original bales that you guys had stuffed away, amazing. There, amazing. There was nothing. I mean, yeah, it was a moment in time. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, yeah, things But you know, that, that just goes to, happen, to show but, that, yeah. Yeah, that it goes to show again that you know it, it it's the, the blend is largely due to the tobacco the type of tobacco how long it's it's been around how long it's been sitting i mean we only had a finite amount of tobacco to make some of the best cigars i think we ever made and then when we go to angel or we go to this guy over here that guy over here and say okay can we get these materials like oh yeah you can, yeah we can, yeah no problem we can get you whatever you want and then we sit down and it's like well yeah it's it's kind of and then yeah. So, anyways, long story short, I <laughs> we mean, couldn't. It's, yeah, it's we couldn't get to the tobaccos. This, yeah, but yeah, what he it was interesting because it, it's a totally different, you know, it's a total different approach in in Dion's approach compared to to mine, and I think that's what's interesting about you know the industry and blenders is mm. it's like putting me in into a, a kitchen, you know, with someone else. You're going to come up with a whole different creation exactly just based on you can have the same ingredients and the same thing but people have different approaches and that's sort of how I learned over the years you know was was you know early on for me it was learning from old school guys that were a little bit more rigid you know that would say okay this is you don't blend this tobacco with that tobacco it's just you know the oil and water that's it and then you would go and you would say to that same person, well, this guy does it this way. Oh, that guy's full of crap. He doesn't know what yeah. he's talking about. <laughs> then you go to that guy and he'd have a whole nother approach. And he would say, you know, oh, that guy's full of crap, you know? And then he'd go to the next guy. Oh, that guy, that's how I learned. Right. Um, and then it's great to be, you know, working with someone like Dion because there is no ego. There is no, you know, you're just learning different approaches and different techniques of, you know, seeing the same problem, but approaching it in a completely different, different manner. So um, I think that's just, you know, why we've developed such a great uh, relationship. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say, 
publicly, if it wasn't for this man, a foundation wouldn't be here right now. I mean, uh, he was. No, nah, I wouldn't go that far. No, I mean, it's true. You would have been where it's you true. were. It would have just been through a different yeah, road but, is all it is. But being able to work with him, he helped me from the, from the very beginning. And, you know, with my, with not only from, you know, the, the, the Nicaraguan side of things, but from shipping and packaging. And he's just always been there to uh, support me. And it's been really uh, refreshing to, uh, you know, have someone and have a friend in the industry like that. So, well, I look, I think Nick, Nick and I realize both that, you know, we're not each other's enemy because there's other companies out there that just mm. want to make us make companies like us into a grease spot and, you know, be done with us. And OK, that's OK. Now they're not nipping at our heels anymore. They're not they're not uh, a perceived threat or, or, or whatever they want to call us. Um, you know, we're here just to help each other, uh, you know, to do better. And, you know, if there's one thing like he was talking about earlier, it's not this way. It's not that way. It's there's no right answer. It's mm. it's what works and what comes together. I mean, there are obviously there are certain tried and true techniques. There are certain ways of doing things. There are building blocks. But mm. then when you start getting into finishing, finishing the product, you know, like maybe with a little spite, you know, like like salt and pepper, you know, it's just like finishing the dish, right. which is really comes down to what it is, the details, whether it's you know, instead of selecting, instead of, you know, if you're using a binder, if you're using a base leaf and then a binder, if you're using uh, a bind, you know, banda capote, you know, like a two binder process, uh, it, it, sometimes it comes down to, I mean, like when we go through the blending process, you know, you can sit there and you could just hit the wall. I mean, you hit the wall and you hit the wall and you hit the wall and you go backwards and you're adjusting it. You know, it's more viso, less this, more seco uh less that and sometimes you just got to get up walk away say look you know what stop we'll come back to it tomorrow and you know maybe it'll it'll show itself to us hmm. and usually it happens like <clears throat> at the most benign time when you're walking down the street like if i'm going to buy razors at the uh store you know in nicaragua after hmm. i go to the hotel or if i'm you know taking a shower or whatever i'm like oh man like, dude, let's just, let's, uh, let's, let's try a different binder. Let's, let's try, instead of using this binder from this place, let's use this binder. Let's use a neutral binder and boom, it comes together immediately. You know, it's, it's just like one tiny little thing that you overlook that completely changes the course and the direction of where that blend needs to go. And it's right in front of you the whole time. Again, you just have to be it. You have to listen to the tobacco. The tobacco is always telling you what it needs and you have to be able to decipher and uh, be able to speak its language in order to know what to do with it. That's, that's fascinating. I like how you, how you were kind of describing it to, you know, to a recipe, like there, there are these foundations, like, like there's a certain way you have to make a cake, but you can always add in your own twist to it. Yeah. It has mm -hmm. to have flour and it has to be baked at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time, but in terms of the ingredients, the different right. sugars, the different toppings, there's always yeah. a way to make it unique and, and to make it work. And I, I find that uh, completely true. Yeah, you uh, want to make a little more. You want to make a little more yeah. a cake that's a little more moist. It's a little more dense. Uh, put sour cream in there, yeah. or put some pudding mix in there. You know, I mean, there's always a little thing you could do. You have the basics, mm -hmm. but if you just add one little thing, it just completely brings it all brings together it all together my grandmother used to put a scoop of uh, coffee in her icing to make it just a little bit richer 
That, that was her nice. trick. Ooh. So I have I good. have one more question for me before we go to just a few fan questions. Um, and my can I make one comment? Me. Yes, sir. Can I make one comment? I'm sorry. Can I swear on this show? Yeah. 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 Is it all right? Yeah. You sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. I don't have to. I got to read you a text that a friend of mine said. You have to bust Libretti's balls that he's talking to Foundation and Illusion and he's wearing a fucking crowned heads hat. <laughs> what the fuck? You have to bust him on that. You can't even you can even give me credit for it. Little does he know I'm a big crowned heads fan. So who, who is it somebody I'm, that I know? I don't know if you know uh, this particular person. I'm not uh, I think Dion I, I, knows can, I can have one guess who it is. Yeah. All right. Take a guess. I think no, it's Hoover. No. 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 It's not. No. Hoover. No. Josh, no, because no, he would. No. He would do that. No. Little, Is it BM? Little. It's uh, a friend of mutual friend of ours, Dion Eric. Is oh. his name? Yeah. <laughs> no way. What is but he doing? He little does he, he know it. Jesus. I don't know. He's not working. What is he I doing guess. on you? You know, he's sitting around. He's <laughs> he's smoking cigars and he's. Uh, He's uh, he's building he's, himself a walk-in humidor in his house, I think. That's what he's doing. But no, nice. little does he know we're a big Crown Heads fan. So I, I well, I, 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 I knew that I, I knew that I knew that John uh, is an admirer of both you guys. Uh, I'm very uh, close with John. We were all on a chat with yeah. it, uh, together yeah. with him. And, he's just busted balls. And I had to wear this because John went out of his way to find me the only size eight in the Crown Heads inventory. Because I'm, I'm, that's how big my head is, and he specially sent me this hat because it was the only size eight he had, and I, I can't yeah. fit into. We're most big hats, fans. So. <laughs> he doesn't realize how big yeah. and uh, crown heads, are. and he doesn't realize how much you wear foundation shirts when you're on when you're on with other people. I think you were when we were on with Huber. You oh were yeah, Eric. The, Eric, the, Eric the just texted me. Eric just texted oh, me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, he knows yeah, you. I, I know Eric. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! I, I wear my fa- I wear my uh, Wise Man uh, Maduro shirt. I think on every cigar dojo that I do. No, <laughs> just I know. Every dojo. I know. He, he's uh, just busting balls, yeah. Eric. He, uh, he's good at that. Dion, do you do you make What's any up, uh, do you make any apparel? Yeah, I do. I'll rock. Yeah, I got I got a bunch of hats, a bunch of shirts, ton of shirts. Well, I actually, I'm just... still waiting for my shirt. <laughs> Didn't I bring I actually... you shirts last time? <laughs> no, it's I... the black one. The black one with the uh, double. Uh, the uh, Phoenix, remember? We were on with Brian. Oh, that one. I yeah, think I he's, sending me, he's, he's sending me one. No, I was on with Howard. I was on how with Howard and Brian. You weren't there when I was busting his balls. <laughs> right. I, didn't, yeah, I, just built a, I just built a hat shelf, some hat shelves in my room, so I need to I need to fill them up with more cigar apparel. Um, but yeah, I, I owe John. So, sorry, for, I cut for, you off. No, no, it's no problem. I, I owe John for finding me the only hat big enough to fit my fat dome. So... Um, so my question to each of you is, uh, I know this is probably going to be a, to, to you guys, it's going to be a complex question, but what was the first tobacco either when you were just smoking, when you were, you know, I know uh, Nick and, and Dion, when you're kind of working in the retail industry or when you were working on the manufacturer side, what was the first tobacco that you either smoked, tasted, or worked with that you truly fell in love with? And you're like, this is something I really want to keep using. I have an idea for Nick. I'm guessing it's going to be something grown in the, in the mighty valleys of deep Connecticut. Yeah, I'm, 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 bi- <laughs> I'm definitely biased in that, um, you know, working with Connecticut Broadleaf for the first time, you know, and I didn't work with Connecticut Broadleaf until I was in Nicaragua. So, hmm. you know, I'm 24, moved to Nicaragua. It's like 03, 04, 2004. And here I am, 
you know, in a warehouse in the north of Nicaragua. And here is fermentation piles of tabaco de mi tierra from my, from my lands, the great state of Connecticut. So to be, you know, just to see that process is always, you know, amazing for me. So being up here and, and seeing the crops, going through the crops, and then going and seeing those containers arrive to Esteli, and, you know, just to see, you know, that whole, you know, supply chain of, um, you know, tobaccos from around the world, uh, you know, especially from my home state is pretty, is pretty amazing. So I find it really unique, Connecticut Broadleaf, and the combination with Nicaraguan fillers, for mm -hmm. me, is just, it's just an amazing, amazing combination. Um, so I'm definitely biased towards the Connecticut. As you know, Nick, so am I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dion, how about you? Yeah, so uh, let me preface this. Nicaragua, first and foremost, always. From when, back when I was, you know, started working in, in retail, uh, number one, because they were very inexpensive and, you know, I could afford them. Mm. I mean, I always liked, liked, you know, having like an Excalibur number one Maduro back in the day Ooh. or a... Uh, uh, a Hoya de Monterey Sultan double Maduro or a jockey club or, you know, any one of those. But um, I remember back in, gosh, it must've been like about 94, 93, 94. We were getting these cigars, you know, 95 going into like the first boom when nobody can get cigars anywhere. Right. Mm. Uh, we found this little company in uh, Miami called Tabacalera Tropical. And the man, a man by the name of Pedro Martin owned it. And they were very, very inexpensive cigars, but they were just so poorly constructed and poorly rolled. They really reminded me of like my first box of punch, punch you know, a cab of punch punches. I mean, practically every one of them, they were a dowel, they were unsmokable. But man, when you got that one, you were just like, oh, this is it. So we'd order them. Uh, we'd order from uh, Tabacalera Tropical, and uh, and he would have them in half roller boxes, like 100, 100 count boxes, similar to like the the Rocky Patel edge trays. Mm -hmm. And it was a unique flavor. It was a unique tobacco unto anything else that we had in our humidor. It was so good. It was so delicious. So I started doing some research on it. You know, and it kind of went away for a while. And then after, you know, working uh, for uh, that store and then going out on my own in 2004, I had learned that uh, Pedro Martin had sold the company to Eduardo Fernandez. And uh, Paul Palmer was the lead on that, the lead contact. So I called up Paul, or actually, scratch that, I go back. And Pete was actually having some stuff made uh, through Tropical. His original Hebra uh, was made through mm. Tropical. Arsenio used to call it the Buffalo Bill. And so uh, Pete had then introduced me to uh, the guys at Tropical, namely, you know, uh, uh, Paul Palmer and Eduardo. And then that's when they arranged for me to go over to Nicaragua. And I said, hey, look, you know, I've been smoking this tobacco out of these fields for years. And it's, it's so unique. And there's, there's nothing like it on the market. I said, but it breaks my heart because all these old cigars that I was smoking that they were selling me, just they had bad, bad uh, construction issues. They're like, oh yeah, we know. And then that's when they took me up to Jalapa 
and then he showed me this um, <clears throat> this room at the school where all these cigars were rolled. There were over a million dead cigars in there that uh, just weren't doing anything, weren't going anywhere. And I think that that's where they were pulling some of these cigars out and selling them to us prior to Eduardo, you know, taking over the operation. So I said, hey, look, uh, if we can assemble these tobaccos in a specific way, in, in my opinion, to what the American market is looking for, I, th I think you can uh, really have something, you know, good on your hands. And, and, you know, at that time too, I mean, they were already making cigars. They had some, some marks out uh, on, on the uh, American market at the time, but, you know, doing what I wanted to do in similar fashion, you know, uh, with Pete introducing me to these guys um, and allowing me to grow within their, their operation really was uh, kind of being right place at the right time you know it was a really unique situation mm. and so when we put it together normally back then when when i sat down with you know with the cubans you know with like arsenio and all the guys they really really gravitated towards the criollo tobaccos that were coming out of condega and and, and uh, esteli because that's what the flavor they liked i mean they were super strong they were sharp they were just i mean it, it's kind of like a really like one of the most hoppy ipas you know like a hop right like palate wrecker hop storm whatever you know you can think of just just brutalize the palate but these are what these guys like and i'm like you know let's let's try and go a different way they're like well you know we grow some tobacco up in jalapa it's this uh um uh, a viso uh it's this uh corojo tobacco but we, we don't use much we don't use much of it they're like you can use all of it you want so i started putting it together um under the tutelage of these guys and all of a sudden they just they were smoking and they were going you know, they, it's like the, the light turned on. It's like, mm. oh, you know, we they, because they never used these tobaccos in a, in a way that complemented the Criollo tobaccos. And so the light went off. And so that's when Illusione was born. And then it came out and it got some good ratings and a cigar, you know, top 10 cigar of the year. And so that's kind of when they handed over one of the reins to me and said, okay, you, you know, anything you need, let us know. Um, and then that's when it was the big round table discussion and we were bouncing things off. They would ask me about, you know, the American market and what they're looking for. And I would ask them about tobacco and what makes this so unique. What, why does this tobacco perform this way when it, you know, when this tobacco performs that way. And then it just, it all opened up from there. And it was just like this big exchange of information. And it was a, it was a really neat uh, thing to go through because as I was learning, you know, they were learning about the American market and, you know, they, they slowly started to get away from their, um, big bruiser strong nicotine drip mm. sharp cigars and started getting into the more uh juicier sweeter rounder cigar so it was neat you know to to actually come together and learn things from each other uh and not not that i could really offer up anything as far as information to them i mean because back then i knew very little about tobacco other than what i had learned from you know hanky's book of knowledge of regions mm. and tobaccos and the way he did things um it, it, it was just, it was a pretty uh, uh, neat experience to go through. That's you like, you reversed engineered in a yeah. sense, almost, exactly. you know, that's kind of the, the same process I, I went through, you know, when I was first Philip Jake Corso, I knew the day yeah. after Roswell, Who's that? Philip J. Oh, Corso, the day after Roswell. So he was one of the guys that. Oh, that means he might be calling. <laughs> He was, government that was a, on the, uh, that's the government yeah. calling. <laughs> he was a colonel that, that was in charge of taking all of the uh, parts from the uh, Roswell crash and saying, 
taking this particular thing to a scientist and saying, okay, tell us what that does. And then they kind of back yeah. engineer it and they say, okay, well, this is this, or this uh, in our estimation is a propulsion system, or this in our estimation uh, is something that you can use for clothing. It's, you know, it's Velcro. You had a male and a female end, or this is a, uh, you, you know, it just goes on and on. Uh, so, um, yeah. And that's really the way it was. Right? It, was back, it was back engineering. It was learning, like, why do people like certain things? Why do people mm. gravitate towards a certain thing? And then going backwards until you reach the one thing that they're looking for and say, okay, we're going to take this thing, which is Corojo tobacco, and we're going to make a complete blend out of it. And then we're going to deliver that to the market. And we're going to see what happens. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I didn't know that's, that's how you kind of first, uh, although we, we, we did talk about it a little bit when I we interviewed did. you a few weeks ago. Um, but I, I, I love hearing you, especially when you're talking about the Corojo and Criollo tobaccos that kind of were, I don't want to say given a second life with, with, with brands such as yours, but like you said, kind of, you, you brought them much more to the forefront and made them kind of the focus of the blend, which I see a, a lot of companies doing now and uh, to great success. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to bring on uh, the man behind the curtain, Greg, because we have a bunch of fan questions. We're going to cherry pick the best ones for you, but people are super fascinated about what we've been talking about today and very interested to hear more from you. So, Greg, uh, what do you have for us for fan questions? You hear the nice blowing in the background there, Nick? No, are we, are we good? All right. What's up, gentlemen? Blowing. No Great. blowing. What's up, Greg? The man behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. That's all. That's all I get. <laughs> so um are there any great books you all like about cigars is there any books that you ever read up on man you know i don't like divulging my all my secrets so um <laughs> tobacco for a, dummies a special a special book club <laughs> that you can join it's only two thousand dollars a month it's what? a pretty good deal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just making things up. So good books. Um, you know, I recently, um, sometimes I get into some old books. I was reading um, some tobacco crop uh, reports um, and I came across an old book called a textbook on tobacco, which is um, uh, from the early 1900s. You might be able to, I found it from a book collector online. Um, that's if you really want to get into, um, you know, some, some serious tobacco knowledge. Um, there's a book called tobacco, um, which you can find, which is more readily available, which I think is a good start. Um, the author is, let me see. Uh, let's see, where do they put the author? Uh, Ian Gatley, uh, G-A-T-E-L-Y. It's a cultural history on how the exotic plant seduced civilization. So that that would be a good starting point. This is the cover. I don't know if you can see it. I just just saw it on uh, on eBay, I think, or or Second Sale is the the website. Yeah. Only 20 bucks. I mean, yeah, that's a good one to start off with. Um, You know, I I haven't read that one in a while, but um, I would start there. Did you, ever read, also, uh, Zeno, uh-huh. did you ever read Zeno Davidoff's book? You know, I did, but it's been a long time. Um, and then I think it's been like 20 years since I read that. And then there's one by Paul Grammarium. Hmm. Um, 
which is, I forgot the title of the book, but he, he has a book. I think Dion probably has it. Yeah, so I got him right here. There's this one right here, which is what yeah, you're talking about. Yep. That one. Yep. Then there's Paul Gamerian. There it is, yeah. The Guide to Cigars. This is another good one, too. Nice. I don't this is really cool. One. It's got some old school, you know, pictures. It's nice. You know, it's got neat, like shiny pictures in it, tobacco. Oh, oh I love pictures. Like, no one needs to those, buy it now. Huh? Right there. <laughs> I love pictures. Nick's yeah. on his way to the bookstore to get it right now. And yeah. then uh, <laughs> and then there's then there's this one. Yes. That's the there you go. One. There it is. <laughs> That's the one you want. This, this is the one right here that you need to read yes. if you want to know about tobacco. Greg, that's all for you, man. That's your book. I'm in. <laughs> the world this of one? Yeah. This is nice for pictures. <laughs> it's got some really great pictures. It's like my kid when he yeah. comes back from school, like it's open, opens his book bag and gets the books out and starts reading it. And looks at the pictures. It's great. <laughs> look, at all, look at all these pictures. <laughs> this is a really good one. Um, you know, this one's got some cool kind of. Um, oh, like leaf, uh, leaf outlining of. Yeah. Some nice. really good leaf descriptions. And do they, um, do they still make that yeah. the, uh, that cigar dictionary or the, was it an encyclopedia? It had like all the cigar the brands. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I remember that book. Um, I used to have all of them, but I don't yeah. know if they. I think yeah. they do still make it. Actually, we, we had a few um, at at the store I worked in Whippany. They they had uh, like the two thousand and seven and two thousand eight editions or whatever it was. I think I remember going through them being at the Whippany store. Yeah, because there were some. Yeah. In- oh wow! Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Is that like when was that written? Uh, this uh, there's been a couple of publications of this, um, but uh, you know these books. This book back in the day was like 135 bucks. Oh wow! And then uh, I nice. found a source that uh, sold them to me at cost, and I had like 30, um, 30 of these books in the store, and then I sold them all. But it just oh, wow. goes through all the Woo. Cuban cigars, you know, the, the original Cuban cigars made back in the day. There's Davidoff, stuff like that. So that's beautiful. This is kind of like really the Bible for me as far as like uh, sizes and types and, and mm. brands of, you know, original Cuban cigars. This It's, it's really cool. I mean, that's know. awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. And you won't. There's uh, one post-revolution Havana cigars. I'm gonna to have to find that one. I don't have that yeah. one. Minron Nee. Minron Nee was the uh, the guy that put it together, <clears throat> and he is probably There's the one foremost called... collector of Cuban cigars in the world, or was. There's one. There's one called the Smoking Gods. Mm. It's kind of a hard one, but it's all about um, indigenous and mainly um, Mayan smoking. Mm. Uh, nice cultures and um yeah indigenous use of of tobacco wow uh which is a good one yeah now i gotta go on on amazon and start loading up on cigar books got me all i gotta find that post-revolution revolution i'm looking it up as we're talking so as as we're looking (laughs) these up i got another question so how do you guys create a transition in a cigar like I'm going to assume flavor wise. 
Create a transition. Um, I mean, it, it really is depending on how you're positioning the leaves in the bunch. Um, for me, is is really how you would create, you know, transitions in the cigar. So, you know, a lot of times you get cigars that might start off the first third that are very heavy, you know, very potent. And guys might say, "Oh man, it's you know, it's really strong." And then after that first third, it sort of mellows out. Yeah. Or you might have a cigar that starts the first third and it's really maybe milder and then it starts to get stronger that has all to do with the leaf position and the distribution of where you're tearing and distributing those tobaccos so you know the leaf as it's connected to the stalk is going to be more bitter so it's interesting sometimes you get people that you know tear and use that and put that in the foot of the cigar um, which is not a style that I use because that's <laughs> going to be more, you know, but P, again, everybody has a different way of what they're trying to do, but it's almost like, you know, having vegetables or, you know, broccoli, you're not going to keep a really long stem of the broccoli and cut that and eat it because a lot of times it's going to be a lot more bitter and more mm. potent and not be flavorful. It's similar with tobacco as you get closer, um, you know, to the leaf being closer towards the stock position. So really depends on, you know, how you're distributing based on the, you know, the blend, the blender, the factory. I don't know if you find the same Dion. Yeah. So it's interesting. You say that, you know, so as, as you have the leaf, you know, that, that goes like this, and then you have the two, you know, pieces that come off from the stock. Arsenio would call those the feet of the old woman. And that's exactly it. You don't want to use the feet of the old woman, right? So a lot of times we just tear those off or before they're being, before they're being prepped, you know, uh, when they're, as they're being prepped for the Galera floor, we just cut them off, you know, on, on specific primings that we use because it does impart a uh, bitter uh, flavor that you just don't want in the overall blend. Positioning of the leaves is key. It's critical. <clears throat> I can take, if I use four components, maybe let's say five components in one cigar, right? And uh, one instance, if I'm using a Criollo binder and a Corojo binder, or I'm using a base leaf of one and the other, if I, if I have uh, Criollo on the bottom and Corojo on the top, and then I put the fillers in there and the Lajero and then the wrapper on there, it's gonna smoke one way. If I accidentally switch those binders, invert those binders, it will taste like a different cigar just by flipping mm those two leaves. Also what Nick is talking about positioning the leaves. If you position more of the tips of the leaves, because that's, you know, the tips of the leaf up here uh, is kind of where that almost explosion of flavor would come from that, you know, the, the, the fireworks. And if you position too, too, much, too many of those up towards the top, you're going to get what Nick was talking about, that explosion of flavor, how it goes, how it just peaks like that, then it just comes down and, and, and mellows out. Well, that almost gives you kind of a false read of what the entire cigar is going to taste like, because the first inch of that cigar is going to taste completely different than the middle third or the back third of the cigar in relation to where you put those tips. So it's very, very important as you're, as you're tearing the tobacco and backfilling that, you know, uh, you either use most, if not all of them, or if you're using all of those tips that they're dispersed within the blend at least relative to what i do mm. uh that you get more consistency in the flavor where you don't have all those tips together and it's going to give you a false read 
of what the uh, uh, blend is intended to be. Wow. Just to touch on too, Nick, you brought up before is, is veins in the cigar, like pulling it's, you know, it depends on what people are talking about sometimes, but you, there is still veins in all of the leaves in the right. filler, you know, um, we call them what Dion was talking about was the old lady's legs also is known as frog strips, right? Because if you look at the leaf, we remove um, a very good portion of that central vein. Um, and then the, the actual leaf looks like a, you know, a frog. Um, but vein, a lot of times, some guys kind of pull out veins. Sometimes like they really go aggressive and they're pulling out veins. A lot of times that's just natural in the right. leaf. Um, you know, if you have a cigar, of course, you're not supposed to have, like I was talking about with the broccoli, you know, a really thick pronounced vein that is, you know, really close to the stalk of, you know, you don't want that, but at the same time, vein provides a lot of flavor to the leaf. Hmm. Um, well, and it also, it also, but provides in any cigar, it also provides space within the bunch itself for aerification. Right. Exactly. So wow. like if you see, this is kind of nasty, but you can see a vein right there in the center, mm -hmm. you know, I could pull out veins from this cigar right now, but that's, it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing. It's not a bad right. thing. Right. Yeah. It's not like if you have like, like a stem or some kind of like, you know, thing and like a, a actual protrusion in there, it's just like part of the, of the natural leaf. Yeah. I mean, if the tobacco wasn't stripped properly, then that's an issue. But right. sometimes I see people posting and they like very aggressively like get pliers and they're like pulling out veins and you could do that to any cigar pretty much, right. especially if you're using, especially if you have blends that are using heavier Visos or mm. Ligeros, you're going to have much more of a pronounced vein structure in those types of leaves. Where you'll also run into problems. And it's really the problem that, that, I've seen as far as veins, if, if that tobacco is not properly humidified when it goes into the cigar, so if it has too much humidity, that vein, that center vein is going to tell you everything you need to know relative to the suppleness and, and how ready that tobacco is, is, is used. Now it's fermented all the way through, right? Okay, so if it's fermented and it's proper and it's ready to go, that's one thing. But if there's too much humidity, if, if, if you look at that spine of that vein, and it doesn't break in a certain way, mm. you know, if it just kind of like bends over like that, there's a lot of moisture. It's holding a lot of moisture. So then what you're going to run into is you're going to run into construction problems. You're going to run into that as the heat hits that vein, it's going to expand that vein because all the moisture is in that vein mm. and it's going to create problems, you know? Yeah. So, and that's the main way where we take tobacco down from the curing barns um, in fermentation, that central vein in the moisture in that vein is one of the main ways of telling you know the whether tobacco is ready yeah mm -hmm. wow this is this is like a like a like a tobacco 201 course i'm gonna, I'm gonna be re-watching this on our youtube page consistently for for all these details uh greg i think we have one more question uh for today is that true yeah nick um the charter oak that, how long did it take to make that blend that just a side note that post havana uh, revolution book eric just sent it uh thousand bucks on Amazon right now, Dion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's crazy. So Charter Oak, how long did it take to to create to work on the right. blend? Yep. Um, you know that took. I worked on that project over um, like a, a good six month 
six to eight month period. At first it was actually a short fill blend um, because I was really trying to keep the price point and I thought I wasn't going to be able to really do it long filler. And um, unfortunately the first, you know, I was working on it, working on it, working on it, had a short fill blend that was pretty decent, but then was like, no, this is just not going to do it. So fortunately, you know, I was able to work with, with AJ um, Fernandez on that blend and really come out with an awesome long filler blend at, at such a great price point. Um, and, a, and a lot of it is due because of AJ and just his access uh, to growing and being able to have some incredible Seiko tobaccos because that's really where I'm able to get that price point at a better price point because the crop is yielding much more lower priming tobacco than your Vizos, Lijeros. You have much less um, yield from the crop in, in those. Those are the more expensive, the higher priming, the more flavor. Those are the most sought after. And sometimes yeah, that's the filet mignon. Yeah. yeah. The filet mignon it. right and in the center of the plant. So that's where a lot of the price is. So to be able to sometimes have Seikos that are not bitter, you know, really don't have much flavor um, is sometimes a tough challenge. But unfortunately, I work with, um, you know, AJ, who does an amazing job in, in growing some amazing Seikos that have a tremendous amount of flavor. So, yeah, Seikos are tough, man. Seikos yeah. are tough to work with. You can find, you can find the... Uh, the holy grail of Seiko's one, one crop season, and it just gives you everything you want. It's multidimensional. And then you look at them again, coming out of the same farm and they're just, they, they, they're, they're bitter and they can even in some instances be stronger and more aggressive than your upper primings, which is insane. And you could even find Lajero's. Everybody talks about, you know, Lajero as being oh strong, being full bodied. You can actually find some very, very mild, uh, Lajero's very sweet, uh, very aromatic Lajero's uh, that really won't beat you up too. But again, you got to search and it's all about just smoking them. It's all about going mm. through bale after bale and lot and farm and priming and getting what you want and using it. So that, that attention to detail like we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Greg, is that the uh, last question for today? That, that is for today. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so, so much. This has, as always, we're talking to you two, been an absolute pleasure for me. Uh, I always feel super jazzed after talking to both you guys. I, I'm, I'm ready to go smoke something now. I might be, I think I'm going to pull out one of those Wednesdays, Nick, from, uh, from a couple of years ago. See how, see how I got the nice yellow wrapper on them now. See how, uh, how those are still. You know, and uh, I might have to bum one of those for me. Uh, we'll see. When I get Enjoy. that special, that yeah. special uh, Menelik that you were making. <laughs> Give me, give me a few of those and I'll, I'll trade you. you know, first, first Dion's <laughs> got to get them. And then we'll, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, uh, but, I, I'm going to find out where those are at. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're in his back room and he smoked through half of them. Um, but thank you guys both so much. This has been awesome. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again. Uh, everyone. Thanks for watching today. Um, make sure you head over to jrcigars.com. We have a tremendous selection of cigars from both Illusione and Foundation. And uh, where else are you going to get them? But jrcigars.com. So thanks everyone for, everyone for watching. And Nick and Dion, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Dion, peace. Nick, yep. thanks, Greg. Yep. Talk thank to you. you.